0: Welcome to Money Over Fifty. Uh, I'm Michael Hogue uh, here with Dallas Davison today. Today, today's topic is active management versus index management. Uh, first of all, welcome, Dallas. It's good to have you back in the the podcast booth. Thanks, Matt, Thanks.
1: Good to be back. The uh we've recorded one podcast since we've been back in and apparently I didn't argue with you enough you, you wanted some more some more pushback so I hopefully I'll be able to give you some of that today so. at the
0: uh, if you haven't listened to it already uh go back and listen to what are you worried about um our most recent podcast uh, Look at the at the back of that podcast I did mention that it's been a while since Dallas and I have have uh recorded a podcast together because we have had some guests uh, guest podcasters uh, on uh, Maria Pandale and Kathy Boyce uh, over four podcasts. So it's been a while since we've yeah. we've. And you know, I, I did happen to mention that I I think I missed arguing with Dallas on the <laughs> podcast because uh, both Kathy and Maria were far too far too, nice. too um too nice yeah. to argue with me. So
1: yeah, it's it's not often something that. People say to me is that I'm too nice and don't argue enough. So hopefully I should be able to give you some of that.
0: Excellent. Um, let's
1: debate something. <laughs> <laughs> so the when you talk about active management versus index management, we actually we actually already started debating about what to call this podcast because mm. what we're what we're talking about there is the the style of uh, management of your of an investment fund, if that makes sense, and so. Historically what that's been referred to as active management versus passive management or index funds or index management. Can you explain a bit about the difference between those two? I can. So so just imagine for a
0: second um, your superannuation fund is invested into a mix yeah. of uh, Australian companies and it's invested into a mix of, of international companies. So you own a, a bunch of companies spread around the world. Yeah. Um, uh, let, let's imagine for a second just the Australian companies uh, while we do this example. Um, there, there's two main methodologies we can, we can select when uh, investing across those Australian companies. Yep. Number one, we could, we could actually choose to um, seek what they call an active manager or active managers, which is more common, so yep. it's more common to have one. Um, those, those um, particular methods of investing will uh, typically spread your money across somewhere in the vicinity of 30 to 40 yeah. companies, um, in, in, inside all of the available companies, of which there are about 1,500 publicly listed companies yeah. in, in Australia. So um, what Active Manager A is attempting to do is select the best thirty to forty companies that they think, for whatever reason, will will uh, perform above average yeah. in, in relation to all of those other companies. It's then common to to tack on um, other active managers because because they do get it wrong. Yeah. So. Active manager B will select perhaps another thirty to forty companies, even though there will be some overlay and, yeah. and some crossover there. So, yeah. you know, if you if you're investing, let's just use um, uh, five hundred thousand dollars as an example, um, then then it, it would be un, it would be common to see uh, an active strategy that might select ten yeah. active managers yeah. and place fifty thousand dollars with with each of those managers. Yeah. And they will they will invest into what they believe to be um, companies that uh, have a high chance of outperforming the average of all of those companies. And I
1: think that's what we tend to find is uh, people f- people tend to think that that's what if that's what we do. Mm. I think it, it probably makes their job sound a lot more exciting than what it is. Is that we're sitting here, you know, looking at charts and things, and picking up the phone and ringing up to. Me yelling to buy this and sell this or we're on some mm-hmm. trading floor or something like that and that's so that's kind of the i mean it's not actually how it happens but that's i think what people instinctively feel like a financial advisor does is active is is what we would actually say an active investment manager does which is that they've got a mandate of i'm giving you this money to invest in australian shares uh, and usually they have a bit more of a specific sort of uh Guess where they see their edge, they might say, I'm going to, I'm going to buy uh, growth companies that I think have a, a high likelihood of growing significantly in the short term or things like that. But you're basically giving that money to someone who says, I think I can pick and choose which companies are going to outperform uh, on average that, that are going to be, have a higher return than the other average companies, or that I think I know which sectors are going to outperform or some variation of that. That's correct. So
0: um, it, it's really, it really comes down to a human being or a group of human beings' judgment calls yeah. as, as what they see may outperform for whatever theory that they have. Yeah. Um, the second methodology, and it's the methodology that we prefer, is, is called the index uh, manager methodology. Yeah. And uh, essentially what that fund will do is it, it, it will just track a common index. So in Australia, um, if we're looking at Australian companies, the ASX200 is, is probably the most well-known uh, index. And it's very common um, if you're investing through an index methodology to invest in a fund that tracks the ASX200. Now what that fund does um, it just goes out there and simply buys the top two hundred companies in this. In this, so it spreads your money across those two hundred companies. Look, if we're looking at statistics, those two hundred companies make up something like about ninety percent of the value, or the net worth of all of the companies yep. that are publicly listed in the Australian. So I mentioned before, there's about fifteen hundred companies um, on the uh, listed in in Australia, um, public companies. So the largest two hundred of those companies um, equate to about ninety percent of the value of all of those fifteen hundred. So, if you invest into um, an index fund that tracks those two hundred companies, then effectively you've bought into ninety percent of the of of the value of the entire yeah. every single com- uh, every single company yeah. listed on yeah. the Australian market. And so that's,
1: I guess, in simple terms, if you, again, going back to imagining the the investment manager themselves. If you think of investment manager A and investment manager B, so investment manager A, who's an active manager, effectively what you've got is you're going to him with your money and saying, here's my money, I want you to invest that in the companies or sectors that you think are are the best Mm -hmm. bet, I guess, at, at this stage, based on their knowledge investment manager B who is the the index fund manager which we, we said management's probably not the right word because it's not they're not necessarily selecting in the same ways that they're more an administrator where you're saying to them here's my money I want you to go and invest that across the top 200 companies in Australia on a on a market cap weighted basis so as you as you said investing in those companies gets you a good spread across pretty much all of the, the market of, of Australian companies, but there isn't the same, I guess, thought process of that manager, that administrator doesn't have to go. Do I think this company is going to be uh, perform well in the future? Do I think they're going to grow? They're just automatically spreading that money out across those companies.
0: They are so so um, so. Let's have a talk about how those two hundred companies exist for a start. So so the collective market participants, yeah. which is anyone that currently owns any Australian companies and anyone that's um, thinking of buying Australian companies and anyone that is buying Australian companies, all of those market participants decide upon the price of each and every company because the price is ultimately set by, it's it's set by obviously the fundamentals of the company and how profitable they are and and what their chances are of, you know, we could, we could, we could borrow down, but, but what sets the price on that particular day is um, what people are prepared to sell those, that company for and yeah. what other people are prepared to pay to buy that company.
1: Yep.
0: So I mean, that really sets the value of all of those companies uh, in Australia. So, so market participants set that, it's not one human being that sets that. Um, so those 200 companies are the top 200 because everyone that's um, a participant in the market uh, has basically said, yeah. we, we we've decided that that's what
1: they're worth, yeah. and that there's, there's so many factors that go into yeah. that, that. So system. with that, uh, we probably should uh, explain that a bit a bit more. When we say the top two hundred, what we're referring to is the the biggest companies in Australia by what they call market capitalisation. So, yeah. uh, basically, the the value of that company. So if you've got a uh, hundred million shares of a of a company, and there's you know, the, the current share price is $1 per share, the valuation of that company is effectively $100 million. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And so when we're talking about the top 200 in this case, or when we look at our, these indexes, they're weighted based on the market capitalisation of, of, of each of those individual companies, which, as you say, the, the market capitalisation or the, the valuation of the entire company is based on people buying and selling um, shares in that company. And overall, the, basically, all the participants in that market are effectively deciding with their wallet as to what they're willing to pay for that, what they think that company would be worth um, if, if you were to buy the whole lot of it, basically.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how it's...
1: Um, they're effectively valued, those companies, and, yeah. and decided. I, th- I think that's probably a good point to make, just in, in general, is that we see a lot of it. Is that it's, it's easy to remove or to forget that there is a fundamental... Valuation that goes on with, uh, you know, if you if you have BHP shares that are thirty six dollars per share, that's ultimately meaningless unless we know how many shares are outstanding, and you can basically then multiply that out to go. This is what, on average, people in market participants think that this company is worth based on its profitability, future prospects, all those kinds of things. And so, I guess to come back to what we're talking about with the the difference between and index style approach versus an active manager is that uh, uh, people like us who who believe in an index style approach is that we're basically saying it's a, it's a bit of the wisdom of the crowds where we're saying that of all of the people who have any sort of exposure to the australian share market and to these australian companies there's very intelligent people out there who are trying to uh, pick and choose if there's any uh, arbitrage between what a company is currently priced at and what the, the true value of that is and so what you find especially in these big companies is that there are so many people looking at them and so many active managers out there that are they're effectively doing the work for you where hmm. all of these different active managers are trying to decide what they think that company is valued at and in an index style uh, Approach, you basically just come in and go, well, if that's what the market is valuing that company at, that's probably a pretty good proxy for what it's, what it's truly worth in, in the short term. And so what then happens is that effectively you've got your money with the index manager, it just automatically gets allocated to each of those companies in order of their size, effectively.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like to think of it also as you cannot be any more diversified. than than owning an index because besides the fact that you're invested across, in this example, 200 companies, if you look at the collective value of those 200 companies in relation to the overall value of all of the the publicly listed companies, it's somewhere up around the 90%. So, you know, effectively, you can can invest in the entire... You can invest in every single company by holding 200. Um, You could own... Twenty different active funds and spread. Uh, in this example, again, your 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 um, half a million dollars across uh, twenty different active funds. So you'd be putting twenty five thousand dollars with each fund manager. Yep. Look, you would not be as diversified yes. as owning one index fund with two hundred companies. Yep. The reason being is a lot of those active fund managers um, are scared to hold anything that. Is too far out of whack with what their competitors are yeah. holding. So, yeah, you'll find that there's there's a double up of so many companies that they actually own in their yeah. in their in their active fund, yeah. um, because uh, they they um, to an extent are, are scared that if they are not holding similarly to what their competitors are holding, they may get it wrong and and all their competitors. Yeah, well, uh, appreciate and outperform them, but they don't. Yeah, um,
1: and that's, that's the, the, the old saying um, from the, the stockbroker days, was that people used to say, you know, no one ever got fired for buying IBM. And that was when IBM was the, the big company, mm. the big tech company. Mm. Was, and the theory there was, who knows how they are actually going to perform. But if I, if I tell my clients, well, you know, if you're an active manager and you invest your client's money in, into IBM, it's very easy to turn around and defend that position and say, okay, well, of course I've invested in IBM. Everyone yeah. was doing it. And yes. so, as you say, even though you might have 10 active fund managers and, and try and be diversified in that way, what you're going to have is that sort of herding instinct of, no one wants to be left out as the, as the weirdo that's buying strange companies that, that, they, that they can't easily defend. And so, obviously, everyone's sort of doing the same thing in a lot of cases.
0: That's right. Yeah. So, so they 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 are doing um, quite a lot of the same thing. Um, uh, Again, going back to the point, you can't be any more diversified than owning an index fund because it spreads it across everything. Yeah. Essentially everything by by weighted average. Yeah. Um, Number two is that if we look collectively at active funds, uh, there's not only no value created. Collectively, there's 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 less than zero that you create. So statistically, what you'll see is that is that if you hold a again using this example, if you if you hold the ASX 200 and the ASX 200, which we refer to as the entire market, um, uh, does a 10% return for that particular year. It's mathematically impossible for all of those active funds to outperform, outperform that. Outperform that. Yeah. Um, what you'll find is there'll be some that are above ten percent, and there'll be others that are below ten yeah. percent. Now the problem is picking the ones yeah. that'll be above. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, inevitably, what happens is people are scared to to put all their eggs in one basket. They spread yeah. that across ten yeah. different active funds. Uh, four of them uh, may be above. The ten percent, but six of them are below. Yeah. Um, when you then look at the cost overlay, so these funds, the active funds, are much more expensive. Yeah. Um, look, what it requires, like like we said, it, it's it's a human being or human beings' yeah. judgment
1: calls. Yeah. Um, Even if that judgment call is to write a computer program that then that then finds all these different trades, at the end of the day, there's there is a, a person trying it, to make a
0: decision on that. It's an added cost. It's an added cost. And when you look at the added cost in in um, uh, over and above what a typical index fund will charge you, yeah. look. Um, um, this is a low. This is a low range, but it's 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 at least one yeah. percent. So, again, using that example, if if, if active fund um, A, B, and C are going to charge me an extra one yeah. percent, then it costs me in management fees for an index fund. Yeah. Um, and and the index fund does ten percent for the year, then. Uh, all of those funds to outperform after fees have to actually give me eleven percent, yeah, so when we look at that, yep. hey, it was four that were out, it was four out of the ten that were in this example yep. yeah above ten percent there 's only one out of ten that 's above eleven percent yeah so so when you look at it collectively look the collective the collective um, results every single year are that that uh, if you add up every single active fund on the market mm. then collectively and this accounts for the the middle of the range performers the great performers the good performers and the poor performers yeah. collectively yeah. Um, after you've factored in the extra fees that they charge yeah. uh, they they collectively underperform the index every single year
1: and, and that's I guess um, you know like you were just saying that's not to say that's not um, I guess that, that's just mathemat- It's mathematically impossible for the average of those performers to 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 be better than the average, if that makes sense. So yes. for everyone who's uh, buying a company, every one of these active managers who's buying a company at a certain price, he's buying it from someone. So someone is selling it to him. Mm. So that manager may well outperform, but the person that he's bought that company off has to underperform. It's 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 just simple maths that yes, that's right. Not a, you know the same way that. Everyone can't be above average. That, that's by its very definition what average is. It, that's, so that's right. In in your example there, where you're saying you know if four out of ten of your active managers outperform, um, you know, in that case, you're still going to you're going to be worse off um, even without the effective fees. But even if you were to say five out of your ten, so half of your managers outperform and half of them underperform, even if you if you were to do that, which is the average, that's kind of where you, your cost comes into it. And you go, well, even if half of them get better than 10%, half of them get worse than 10%, sell-off, broken, even, then you've got that extra layer of, well, it's cost me an extra 1% to get to get that same return. So my net return is actually down based on that. That's right. So, And I guess that's the... You know, it's like anything. If, if, you, if you had a crystal ball and you knew which fund managers were going to outperform, then mm. it'd be an easy game because you'd just go, well... I'm only going to invest with the guys who are going to get me a better return than the average by more than what their fee is. So yes, someone says my fees, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna charge two percent as a as a fund manager fee, and we think that the average return is gonna be ten percent, they need to get at least a twelve percent return. And so in in that case, if you knew in advance that they were going to be able to do that, then it'd be easy because you would just invest with those people who are going to outperform. But I guess this is the, uh, at the very least, our belief and, and what makes logical sense to me is that we don't know in advance who those, who those fund managers are going to be. We don't. And, and um, no one on earth does. No. Either, so, <laughs> so <laughs> we, it's not just us. No. And that's, I guess, one where we, the example that we use is if, if you could have identified Warren Buffett 50 years ago and invested with mm. him, and, and he has actually outperformed over you know, a, a very long time, then that's great, but the likelihood of that happening is is a bit mm. like, you know, me going to the races in a few weeks' time and backing every winner on the cards. So it might happen, <laughs> but it's probably not going to happen. So. Yeah. And I guess well, and, and the other thing, the other point
0: where you where you're on that, um, probably the biggest one, Dallas, is that is that it's it's the time that's taken to actually try and pick these. Pick that. Um, theoretical yeah. outperformers um, really detracts from the real valuable story. So, yeah. so we see a lot of financial advisors who believe that their value add is to try and pick active funds that are outperforming yeah. the um, uh, that that are, that are going to outperform. So, most of their uh, progress meetings with their clients are them d- discussing, okay, well these funds have outperformed these haven't, let's move money out of these ones yeah. that have underperformed and into, um, you know, the ones oftentimes that, that, yeah. that have, yeah. um, but we feel they're, they're, they're missing out on the true valuable work. So like, we'd rather take that time to become taxation experts, yeah. which we've become, of course, um, so that, because we know that the average couple coming in to see us for the first time is leaving somewhere between seven and ten thousand dollars of, of tax on the table yeah. every year before they come and see us. So, we'd rather become experts at that and actually say, okay, well, if we can pick up an extra seven or ten thousand dollars in tax savings, that's a guaranteed return yeah, for us. And no, no, that's something um, we can. can... Yeah, you know, we know that the average couple coming in to see us at somewhere in the vicinity of 53, 54 years of age uh, are on track to to be more than likely about a half a million dollars short of yeah. where they need to be um, by the day that they retire. So you know, we'd rather spend the time on actually saying, okay, what's the best strategy to actually get us, to get them there, to yep. help get them there, yep. um, rather than, than, you know, um, talking about Something which active good. fund may outperform the,
1: yeah. the, the next. And that, that's actually, it ties in exactly with the last podcast about, uh, you know, what, what are you worried about? This, to me, the, the active manager, um, trying to pick and choose which active fund manager is going to outperform falls really into the category of something that you can worry about, but to no real avail. So, of mm. the two things that, that we sort of spoke about, that if you're, going to, if you're going to worry about something as it relates to your retirement planning, you want it to be something that really matters and something you can control. Mm. So, like I say, it, it would be really, uh, really important if you, if you could, um, you know, outperform on average over the next 10 years. And if you could pick up extra percentages of of return every year, that would be great. But you fail the second test there, which is that it's not something we can control. We can't consistently pick and choose who is gonna outperform. And so you then, as you say, it's really a waste of of our time and our client's time to try and sit there and go, well, we think maybe this fund manager will outperform this other one, but we're just gonna have to do it. And then in a year's time, it either will have happened or it won't have happened, but it's it's all the time and, and mental energy that the client has spent thinking about that rather than, like we said, our savings rate or am I putting enough money into my super fund every fortnight? Am I picking up every dollar of tax savings that I can? Am I doing everything I can to to be the you know, to um, you know, add the most the most value in in other ways that we really can control? It's a great
0: point because the the um the assumption is that if you can pick funds that outperform somehow you'll meet all yeah. of your financial objectives yeah but we know that we know that even if you could and you can't yeah. and we can't yeah um and it's not that you can't or we can't no one can <laughs> even if you could yeah. choose funds that consistently outperformed you still wouldn't meet your goals yeah, it because um, it, it it really does it, it has no bearing without the strategy yeah. overlay. Yeah. And the strategy yeah. overlay is like you said, um, yeah. picking up tax dollars that you you're paying for the ATO every year in the vicinity of seven to ten thousand dollars. Um, yeah. you know uh, making sure that your expenses are less, much less than what your income is, making sure that you can put money into your superannuation on each one of your yeah. Final two hundred and sixty fortnightly pay packets. Um, it, it's the strategy overlay that that yeah. gets you there.
1: Yeah, um, and that, that's a great way—a uh, great way to think of it. Uh, a quote that I, I like is: "Outperformance is not a goal, and, mm. and we think it is. And it's like anything. As an industry, we've got a lot—a uh, lot of blame to take for that. Is that historically, people go: I go to a financial advisor, I give him some money, he invests it, and he tries to beat the market, whatever, whatever that means. Mm. So." And as you say, if, if someone comes to me ten years out from retirement, and, and I get them an eleven percent return over the next ten years, and the average market return was ten percent, before I pat myself on the back too much, I really need to think: Well, are, are they in the position that they need to be to retire? Are they going to run out of money before they pass away? Are they? You know, those are all the issues that that are that are what we would consider a goal or an objective to work towards: is making sure you have enough money to retire, not what percentage return or, you know, what am I going to try and get in terms of that performance? Fantastic point to finish up on, I
0: think. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Money Over 50 podcast with Lighthouse Financial Advisors. We look forward to catching up again soon.